scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I invite you to read along. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, please use one of the red hymnals that you'll find in front of you. Again, it is Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say unto every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Before we dive in, I just have to register. So I don't usually wear a jacket when I preach, and I did like over Christmas, I think, once, and several people were like, oh, you should wear it sometime, and I just randomly this morning put it on, and I am amazed by like the awe that people seem to express. Like, you're so dressed up this morning, and I'm just like, like, (laughs) that's really all that changed. So (laughs) with that out of the way, (laughs) let's pray as we come to God's word. Oh, Father, I just pray that you would be teaching us to be your people. I give you thanks for these brothers and sisters here and pray that you would be growing us each individually and together to be Jesus's image in the world. Pray that you would be with us sinners as we sit under your word and be with me a sinner as I proclaim it. Amen. So, so people talk about Christian morality, right? You know, here's the things you're supposed to do and the rules to obey and whatever to be a Christian. And I have a question for you right up front, which is, if you, if you were thinking about that, what would be the things that you would put at the top of that list, right? What would be the first things that you would talk about if you were trying to explain, like, what Christian obedience, what Christian morality means? I was thinking about that because last week, in the first two verses of Romans 12, Paul gives one of the most powerful calls to Christian obedience anywhere in the Bible— you remember, present your bodies, like put yourself up on the altar as a living sacrifice to God. And don't let your thinking be shaped by the world, but be transformed as God renews your minds. What are the things you think about first when you hear that calling? The reason I ask it is because if you're like me, I think my brain immediately starts thinking about what we could call individual morality. Things in my private life that I am supposed to do and not do, and um, here's some rules to obey. And those are an important part of Christian obedience. I'm not about <laughs> to tell you that that doesn't matter. Private morality matters. But one of the things that's striking about the Bible, if you read through, say, Paul's letters, is that it basically never starts with those things when it starts talking about morality. Instead, it starts with our life together and with how we treat each other. Christian obedience finds its first expression in how we relate to one another and to the world. 
Paul gives this call to be living sacrifices, and then he immediately starts to talk about our lives together and how we treat each other. That's probably reflecting the fact, if you remember, that when Jesus is asked to sum up the law, the way he sums it up is love. Now again, that does not mean that the private virtue is unimportant. And later, at the end of Romans 13, we're going to talk about that. But I point this out because for this text that we read this morning, and really for the next few weeks, um, what we're going to be talking about, as Paul pictures what it means to be a living sacrifice, is how we live together as the church. What Paul is calling us to do as communities of faith, and even as members of the community of the world, once we get into Romans 13, to show forth love. And the place he starts that discussion is what we would call spiritual gifts. So rather than say more general stuff, let's just dive into the passage this morning and see how he starts to talk about that topic. So let's begin with the simplest idea, because people are in all kinds of places with familiarity, and that is that we all have different spiritual gifts. Paul uses this image of the body in verse 4 to describe the church. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, which means parts, okay, and those members do not all have the same function, and so this is, he's done, he does the same thing in his, in 1 Corinthians 12, but the image he's using is he says, look, I have a body and I've got lots of different parts, right? I have eyes and a mouth and a heart and lungs and little bones in my ears, and I've got all these different parts of my body, and each of them does a different thing. My eyes don't talk, and my liver doesn't pump blood, and that's a good thing, because we need each of those parts doing its job in order for the body to be the body. And that, in verse 5 then, Paul says, is what the church is like. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's really two parts of that. First, he's just saying we are like that body in terms of our connection to each other. We talked about this a little earlier in Romans, because Paul uses it as an illustration earlier too, but basically it works like this. When you become a Christian, you are connected to Jesus, right? That's what happens, that I am in Christ and he is in me. Um, But that doesn't just mean something about my relationship with Jesus, And the reason for that is that you also are in Christ, and he is in you if you're a Christian, and that means that there is a sense in which we are connected to each other, too. In a sense, almost like that we are in each other, just as we are in Christ. Um, Where it says that we belong to each other here in um, verse 5. That's actually, um, I mean, already that's good and strong, but, but really what that verse says is um, we are members each of the other. That is to say that I am a part of you and you are a part of me. So we have this union with each other. Um, but then that also connects back to verse 4 and that idea that while we're all connected to each other, that doesn't mean that we're all the same. That just like each part of the body has a different function, each of us do as well. Which is the second part of that image that we are each uniquely gifted. If you keep reading into verse 6, you see that he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So it's not just that we're connected to each other like the body in the sense that we're close and intimate, but we're connected like the body in the sense that I'm sort of like the heart and you're sort of like the lungs and we need each other to survive. And that's true, not... um, Well, two things about that, I guess. First... 
when we hear that, and we hear that language of spiritual gifts, maybe it's worth mentioning, because I think sometimes we wonder, I think for some of us we hear about that, and we think that we're talking about some like really supernatural or strange thing. And it's true that there are places in the Bible, um, like 1 Corinthians, where spiritual gifts are talked about in a way that especially focuses on certain gifts that we would consider more, I don't know, supernatural looking, right? Like speaking in tongues and things. And digging into that is a topic for another day. But, um, but the thing is, when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, while it includes those things, it also includes a ton of ordinary things, too, like hospitality and organization. And so gifts include both those supernatural things and also things we would think of as natural, but that they're supernaturally empowered by God to serve the body. So when we're talking about your gifts, we don't necessarily mean something different than just the stuff you're good at as a human being. But we do mean that it's the stuff you're good at and gifted at as a human being empowered by the Spirit to bless the church. And that's not just true of, like, people in general. The the thing to realize is that's true of you. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, right? So the Bible would say, if you're a Christian, and we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about something that you have. And again, we're going to dig deeper in just a minute um, and talk about some things that Paul says, particularly from this passage. But first, we should probably just pause, because I know we're at different places, and ask, do you have a sense of what your spiritual gifts are? I mean, you might just be wishing I gave some more examples, maybe, if you've never heard about this idea. What are we even talking about by spiritual gifts? And the Bible lists, uh, it gives several different lists of spiritual gifts, and they're all completely different, which means that they're not supposed to be exhaustive, right? And just because you don't find some exact thing on that gift doesn't mean it's there. You're not supposed to just, like, add all the lists together and then pretend like that's all of them. But since it can be helpful, let me just add all the lists together and give you um, a list of a bunch of different things the Bible says are spiritual gifts. It lists things, this is just a partial list, but it lists things like, administration, discernment, which is telling truth from falsehood and right from wrong, evangelism, exhortation, meaning encouragement towards righteousness, faith, giving, helps, meaning practical helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, just having insight to apply God's truth to people's lives, service, teaching, wisdom. Each of us is especially gifted in some of those areas, and not gifted in others of those areas. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't all have to do those things sometimes, right? Um, Each of us, in fact, at some point in Scripture are told that we're probably going to have to do some of all of that. But it does mean that that we are especially gifted in certain areas, and those are the areas that we live into in the church. And what I mean is like, like faith. I don't know if you noticed this, but faith was on that list of spiritual gifts. Now, we're all called to have faith. In one sense. I mean, that's to be a Christian. Paul's talked about that a lot in Romans. We have to have faith in God, and that's what causes us to be saved. But there is also, there are people who have these deep, powerful wells of trust and faith in God. And that is not everybody in the church. Frankly, that is not me. I'm not that person with that gift. But you know what? I know those people, and those people, by having that kind of trust and confidence, are a blessing to me and help me to have faith. They actually serve me by being a part of the body, and that's the idea of spiritual gifts. 
So those are some examples. And every one of us as Christians has gifts like that. God supernaturally gives each of us gifts like that. So then do you have a sense of what your gifts are? That's the other basic question we need to ask. If not, it's worth spending some time trying to figure it out. And if that's something that you've never really thought about before, there's a lot I could say as far as practical advice, and I'd be happy to visit with you. But let me just give you two suggestions, very basic suggestions. One is if you're not sure what your gifts are, ask some people who know you well. (laughs) We're an interconnected body, and oftentimes... Other people can see our strengths and and weaknesses, but in this case, our strengths better than we can see them ourselves. And that doesn't mean that they're always right. You have to test what they say, but that's a good place to start. And then secondly, if you have some thoughts or some people give you some thoughts, then try out those gifts. Try them in a way, you know, in the church, um, using them and see if the Lord blesses that. And just two things about that. One is that it might take a little time as you start to try out those gifts before you know whether you, you really have them. Um, I think that I have the spiritual gift of preaching, but the first time that I stood up and preached when I was 16 years old, which should never have happened, but it was terrible, right? So it's appropriate to say you do need to grow into those gifts. Um, and second... Well, part of it, part of what you're asking yourself as you use those gifts is whether you're good at it. Part of it is also asking whether it blesses you and you enjoy it. Uh, We are not, not enjoy every minute of it, right? But we are meant, as we use our gifts, to actually find fulfillment and blessing. So that's the basic idea of spiritual gifts. Then in this passage, Paul says a couple of specific things about those gifts. First, he tells us that we need to recognize that others' gifts are valuable. That other people's gifts are valuable. So look at the first part of verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God distributed to each of you. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think you're all that. Don't think you're better or more important than other Christians. And in the context, he means because you have certain gifts. And there are two reasons for that. First, Paul says, because every gift matters. We said that a minute ago, and Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. That would be absurd in the body, Paul says, and that would be absurd in the church. But I think we do that sometimes in the church. Maybe we don't come out and say it, but we often act as if some gifts are more valuable than others. Plenty of times, the ones we think are the most valuable are the ones that we happen to have. I think we have a sense that every Christian should be like us, at least some of us do. Have you ever noticed that happening? I mean, I feel like... Like, there are Christians who are gifted in knowledge and teaching kind of stuff, and they love to read about theology and know stuff about Christianity, which is great, but sometimes those people, and I'm starting with them because I can be one of those people, feel like everybody should, you know, should have those gifts, and everybody should be doing those same things that they're doing, um, and as into knowledge and teaching as them. And there are Christians who are gifted in helps and mercy, and they love to serve in soup kitchens and support nonprofits and do community work, which is great too. But sometimes I hear those people talk as if the rest of the church is failing simply because they're not spending as much time doing that as they are. 
And there are Christians who are gifted in administration and getting stuff done, and they want the church to be doing a thousand things, and they feel like when the church isn't doing all the stuff that it should be, that it's failing. And there are Christians gifted in evangelism who are talking with their neighbors about Jesus all the time and see people coming to Christ, and they're like, you haven't led anybody to Jesus this year? Are you even a Christian? And, And that happens. I could go on because I feel like there's ways in which I have seen and sometimes even been guilty of that with every gift. That we can all take the things that we're the best at and think that everybody should be good at it like that. But we should not buy the lie that everyone should be like it. And the reason, as Paul says here, is because the diversity of the church is necessary if the church is going to do everything God calls it to do. So let me just show you something here. I did this just with our small group as a little test to illustrate what I'm talking about. I emailed just our small group here at Kish and asked them to give me two things they feel like they're gifted at and two things that they definitely aren't, right? Two gifts and two areas of weakness. And this is not, again, the whole church or something. I think we had seven or eight people respond from our small group, right? Giving me their gifts and weaknesses. But so first, here are the strengths. These are the things that the members of our group feel like they're gifted in. And then here are the weaknesses that all the people listed. There's more because people doubled up on some of them. But here's what's beautiful to me, all right? Just that group of eight people who responded, look and see how many of the strengths they listed appear on the list of weaknesses that somebody else listed, right? That, I mean, that that you look at that, and most of the weaknesses we said we had are met by somebody else's strengths. And that's just like eight of us. I guarantee you that there are people right now you know, that are looking at the list of weaknesses and thinking, oh, I'm gifted in that area. That is how the church is supposed to work. Some of us are strong in some ways, and some of us are strong in other ways, and that lets us do all the stuff we're called to do, rather than just do one or two things. So when we encounter people with different gifts than ours, first we should say, hallelujah, because we need you. We should be glad that people are strong where we're weak, and that we're strong where they are. So part of why we say that others' gifts are valuable is because every gift is important. The other part of why we say that everyone's gifts are valuable is because every gift is a part of God's grace. It's from God's grace. So let me show you something cool about how Paul discusses gifts in this text. If you start at the beginning of verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? Now look down at verse 6, but look at that. By the grace given me, in verse 6 he says, We have different grace, gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. And then if you look back at verse 3 again at the end, Paul says um, that you should regard yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So now Paul's talking about faith, but faith in terms of this, you know, this gifted faith that God gives, which we talked about back in Romans 8. So we all have it, but God's distributed it differently. And then back in verse 6, he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And that phrase is kind of implied in each of the commands that follow. Each of the gifts that Paul discusses we're supposed to use in accordance with our faith. Which is to say that the diversity in the body is also meant to remind us and be a picture to us of God's grace. That he didn't save us because we were some certain way. He didn't look around and say, gee, who's best at the most important stuff? Those are the people I'm going to save. 
He saved all of us from all kinds of different places, as all kinds of different people. And it's by his grace, or and it reminds us of his grace as we look in the present. Because as each of us is strong in some areas and weak in others, we're reminded that we can't do it on our own. Your gifts, whatever they are, and my gifts are gifts, is the other way to put that. That they're not something you take credit for. They're a product of God's grace. I had a seminary professor who gave me a helpful image as I thought about how to talk about our strengths, right? So first of all, he said, you do have strengths. This came about because I'm a Midwesterner, right? And whenever, it's really hard to ever say anything or accept anything positive about yourself because that feels pretentious. But he says, you have strengths, you're good at stuff, and you shouldn't deny that. But you also shouldn't talk about it in a way that gives credit to yourself. And instead, he said, the way to do that is to talk about your strengths in the same way you talk about the color of your hair. Which is to say, I'm gifted in teaching, that's an area of strength for me, and you are gifted in generosity or knowledge or encouragement or whatever. And it's not wrong to admit that, but the key is to say it like this, to say, I am gifted in teaching and I have brown hair. And those two things are equally true of me and equally things that I can take credit for. Part of why we don't value others' gifts is our pride. It can be our pride about our strengths. We feel, you know, like, I built this, I did this, I developed this, look at me. Or our pride in terms of our weaknesses and our insecurity. We can say, well, that gift doesn't really matter. That gift that I don't have, who cares about that gift? But either way, Paul is saying, don't think of yourself too highly. Everything you have is from God. He's given you your strengths, and he's covered your weaknesses in the body. So we should recognize that others' gifts are valuable. And at the same time, for all the reasons we kind of just said, we also need to recognize that our gifts are valuable. That our gifts are valuable as well. And Paul says that we should think about ourselves with sober judgment. He doesn't mean that we should deny that we're gifted. Instead, he means that God gives graces to each one of us and that we should recognize what our gifts are. And then he says we should stop worrying about other people, but instead, he says, look at the end of verse 6. This is how he starts applying it to us. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Go on in verse 7 and 8. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If, it's to be, if it is giving, then give generously. Or that could be translated, give with pure motives, meaning not showing off as you do it. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if your gift is teaching, then don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry that they have gifts that you don't have in a way that makes you look down on them. Don't worry about the gifts that they have that you lack. If your gift is teaching, then teach. <laughs> That's the conclusion we should reach. There's an idea in a lot of modern leadership books that I think is really helpful. And I am not the guy to quote modern leadership books. But this, I think there is a real common grace wisdom in this. Um, and the idea is that we spend too much time trying to fix our weaknesses. We spend too much time trying to fix our weaknesses, and instead, we should operate out of our strengths. Now, first, just to be clear, as we talk about weaknesses, we're not talking about sin, okay? That's something separate from what we're about to say. Um, we should all fight against sin in our lives. 
But, um, but here's the thinking in those books. It says, let's say that you're terrible at something, right? And you spend a whole bunch of time trying to fix that thing, because if you're terrible at it, you're going to have to work really hard at it. You do that, and what you end up with is that you are average at that thing, right? Realistically, like nobody's going to turn one of their weaknesses into the thing that they're best at. And so you're just average, and you've spent a ton of time getting there. And instead, they would say what you should do is to figure out your strengths and use them. And then in the case of leadership books, they would say, and manage your weaknesses, right? Find other people that you can delegate them to or to support you or other ways to deal with them. Spend your time growing what you're best at. Um, and then, because instead of just kind of growing from terrible to average, what you're doing is you're taking the thing that you have to offer the most and you're growing from good to excellent. So you can actually really bless people with it. And I think there's something biblically right about that idea. Peter puts it like this. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So Paul says you are a steward, which is sort of like the like a financial manager, I guess, in the ancient world. Someone who oversees this person's household and wealth. And he says that God, so it's like he's saying God has given you this certain portfolio, each of us, this certain set of things, and our job is to be the steward of those things and use them as responsibly and beneficially as we can. Your job is not to worry about what God gives other people, but it's to use the gifts that you have received to faithfully serve. And so I think that there's some wisdom in us recognizing that each of our callings, in many ways, rather than stressing about all the places that we maybe aren't as good at other people, although, yes, grow and be wise and use people to support and help you, but it's, it's useful to our callings to just think, where am I the strongest? What have I been most gifted in? And how can I spend some time doing that? And that doesn't just mean in a formal sense in the church either, all right? Now, it includes that. If you're someone that God has created to be warm and welcoming, it would be a greeter. That's wonderful. If you are somebody gifted in teaching, you know, talk to me. We could have you help with adult ed or kids or youth group. Or if you're gifted in hospitality, we could have you host a small group. That's all true. But gifts and using our gifts in the body means something natural and everyday and a lot deeper than just sort of having a title at the church. People sometimes ask me, how I knew I was supposed to be a pastor. And that is a complicated question to answer, but largely it's complicated because I think that what people expect is a story about the heavens opening and God sort of speaking to me. It's like, it's like you know, he appears up in the clouds and he says, go to seminary and become a pastor after you retrieve the Holy Grail. And, and, and that could be great. But in real life, finding God's will is almost always more complicated and maybe boring than that. But, but a big part of the answer, honestly, is that before I was in seminary, before I had decided that I was called to be a pastor, I found myself pastoring people. That was a big part of how I sorted out that calling, that people would come to me with questions about the Bible. People would come to me with struggles, you know, asking for counsel. People would, um, I mean, we, I remember in, I was married before my senior year of college, but we started a, a Bible study at our house my senior year of college and ended up with like 30 people coming every week, right? You know, I mean, that just in the normal, ordinary course of life, I was using those gifts and started to recognize them. And that's a significant part, 
how I sorted out that calling. And I'm not saying I was a great pastor back then, just to be clear, or that I gave people good advice or whatever. But um, what I am saying is that our gifts aren't just reserved for some title or some specific job that you do, like in a formal church setting. That if, if you are gifted, then share that gift, whatever it is, with the people around you, in normal relationships, in friendships, in the, that life as the body. And the more we do that, the more the church is built up. As we close, um, I heard a story that I was thinking about, I remember years ago, as I, as I was thinking about what Paul says here about our gifts. And the story was that there was um, a family that contained a famous concert violinist. She was like first chair in a major orchestra, well-known violinist, and her brother was a construction worker. And one day, somebody who had known the brother connected the dots and said, oh, oh, that's your sister, the violinist? Oh, wonderful. And then catching themselves and worried that they're going to give offense, they said, of course, we're all different, and even in the same family, it seems like some people just, just are more talented than others. And the brother said, you're telling me that violinist sister of mine couldn't, doesn't know the first thing about framing or laying bricks. If she couldn't make some money playing that fiddle, I mean, I don't know what she'd do. She has no practical skills. She'd be ruined. And here's why I love that story. <laughs> Um, the reason I love it not, is not just as sort of true to how people tend to view themselves, but I like that story because the question is, who's right? The friend or the brother? And the answer, in a sense, is that both of them are. The world needs musicians and carpenters. If we didn't have one, life would be robbed of a great deal of beauty. If we didn't have the other one, we would all die of exposure. <laughs> We need talented violinists and talented bricklayers, and there is no purpose in measuring the two against each other. And the same is true of the church. The church needs people like each one of you. One of the troubling things to me in the modern church is that we often start communicating to people that what they're coming to church to do is to like, consume a commodity— come and sort of just like sit there and be given this thing. This is a performance or a product or whatever, and that worries me because the church is meant to be a community. This up here is not the church, right? Even th this building is not the church. Like, this is the church, and you are given a specific place you are given a job that only you can do to serve and bless and build up the body. Each of us is essential. And the church will only fully be the church that Jesus has designed it to be as each of us live into those gifts and callings. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you for all the gifts that I have seen and experienced from these brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would teach us faithfulness as we use them, that we might serve each other, serve the world in the ways that you have designed us. Give us comfort um, and humility, both knowing that our gifts are essential and recognizing that the others that we don't have are as well. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.